Will, stop chopping wood in your flannel Hawaiian shirt and get back inside this cabin. We have a podcast sketch to write, or have you forgotten? Okay, I'm coming. How's the sketch coming along? Your idea to rent out the secluded cabin just a mile away from the local penitentiary has so far worked wonders for our productivity. I don't know, Will. I've been writing all morning, and I have no idea how to open this week's episode of Cinemaholics. I'm not sure how we can blend a joke about Burger King chicken fries, Jane Levy's upcoming talk show on Crackle, and four separate Berenstein Bear books. Now don't forget a cameo from Anderson Cooper. I know, I, I just, I don't see how all of these things can connect. Well, John, the tarot cards don't lie. Maybe you could try, oh wait, hold on. What's the matter, Will? Did you stain your Hawaiian shirt with Hawaiian punch again? No, no, not that serious. Looks like we got another negative review on Apple Podcasts. Oh no, not again. What are the critics of Cinemaholic saying this time? Well, looks like someone doesn't like the show. Oh, well, I guess we'll just have to suck it up and keep trying our best by doing Cinemaholics on our own terms. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Okay, but for real, what did it say? And uh, how can we try to make this problem worse? Well, it's a doozy, John. It would appear that we are, quote, too young to have a podcast like this, end quote. I didn't know your dad was writing reviews about us on Apple Podcasts. But hey, that's not actually so bad. That's almost a compliment. Well, I thought the same thing, John, but YouTube Banana takes it a step further, you see. Looks like we get half our movie references wrong. (laughs) Well, to quote John McClane, frankly, my will, I don't give a dang. John, you're being hysterical. As critics, we should be more than willing to roll with the punches and take every bit of criticism seriously, but not too seriously. (laughs) Okay. Uh... But for real, Will Ashton, uh, I want the truth. But I can't, in fact, cope with nonfiction. So what do we do? Well, it's simple, John. We simply have to act as old and mature as we really are. No more podcast bits. Will, now you're really scaring me. How do you expect Cinemaholics to last a week without a podcast bit to surprise and delight all 13 of our listeners and your dad? Well, John, take the scotch. I'm already five sips ahead of you, Will. Next, we'll go to the library and pull up some fine literature. But, Will, we already have all these Berenstein Bear books, and we're only halfway through them. No, John, we're graduating to a more refined collection of literary classics. Will, if you keep scaring me like this. That's right, John. We're going to read Artemis Fowl. But, but, Will, to quote Harrison Ford, that's impossible. John, you know that, and I know that. Hell, half our listeners probably figure that out on their own, but you know who doesn't know that? Et tu, banana? No, John, it's Brute. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I write books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. Hey, Will Ashen. Hey, John. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com, as always. If you would like to write into the show, please send us an email via Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can support us directly by becoming one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Well, we've got a lot to get to for this week's episode. We've got 
kind of an indie uh, slate of film releases. Yeah, very indie centric. Yeah, they're all yep. one word titles. Mm-hmm. I think it's a first for us. I don't think we've ever had an episode where ev- like we've had multiple movies and they've all been one word. Well, I don't know. Maybe our listeners can go through the archives. Maybe there's someone who knows the figures better than we do, but I would have to assume this is a first for us. Yeah, at least for like four movies or more, I think that's the case. I don't even know if we've done three movies. We've probably done two movies that were one word titles. But that said, uh, we are going to be talking about a new neon film called Shirley, which is now streaming on Hulu. That's our big review of the week. And then we'll get into a couple of indies, including Becky, Deerskin, and Tommaso which are all very interesting movies uh, in their own right, at least. And we do have some things to cover in off topic, some important stuff. And we're going to talk about HBO Max in a little bit. And of course, as always, we have birthday shout outs. But before we get into all that stuff, uh, Will, there, there's something we want to announce to the show. What is it? Yeah. So uh, if you guys don't know, Warner Brothers for the month of June has made the movie Just Mercy free on uh, Apple or Apple iTunes and various other uh, streaming services. Uh, it's a movie we talked about back in January, I believe. It might have been the first movie yeah. we covered. One of the uh, first ones. Stars uh, Michael B. Michael yeah. B. Jordan and mm-hmm. Brie Larson and Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Um, I know we were both favorable on it. I think you were a little bit more favorable than I was, but definitely I think it's one we're seeing, um, especially now. And I'm glad that it's available for free and it can have a bigger audience because it got like a decent release, but I don't think people... Like, it didn't get any awards attention from what I remember. It didn't really like crack into the award season it just became like a decent uh box office showing but it definitely could have more room to grow and i think this is a great way to get the the word out and get the movie yeah. out there this is a great opportunity to watch it for free like you said and uh can you say again the uh the websites that you can watch this for uh sure i mean i believe it's on i can double check but i know it's like on apple you can watch it now um various others let me let me double check just to be sure Okay. Yeah, it's available on YouTube right now and Google Play and as well as uh, Amazon Prime. Awesome. And uh, yeah, there's and you were going to say uh, about Neon? Yeah. Um. So if you guys don't know, surely the movie we're going to be talking about this week is a Neon release. Uh, and Neon has also been uh, doing something where they're going to make movies under their banner from African-American filmmakers available for free on their site on their site. Uh, and that's going to start right now. You can watch 2018's Monsters and Men, which is one that I meant to watch. Uh, back when it came out and it slipped uh, under my radar. So I'm very glad that they made this film available so I can check it out. And I hope other people will as well. Have you seen this one, John? Uh, Monsters of Men, no. I remember we we sort of referenced it a couple times and it was on my radar as well. But yeah, I just never got the opportunity. Yeah. So I mean, this is a great way for, you know, people like us and many other people can check out this film. I know it got good reviews and good notice, but another film that also kind of slipped under the radar as well. So um, yeah, definitely. I think this is a great way to get movies out and uh, definitely expand their audience. And then in addition to that, the Criterion channel has also made a bunch of films that they have uh, from African-American filmmakers available on their site as well. There are a bunch of them. So I I don't know if I have a full list of everything that's on there, but if you go and check the site on the front page, I think they're all listed right there. So uh, definitely take advantage of that because there's a lot of really interesting and uh, very intriguing and meaningful titles in there that I think are worth pursuing. I know I'm going to try to, uh, Check out a few of those this week, even though I don't have a Criterion channel subscription, because I know there's a lot of great films yeah. to check out there. So, yeah, if you're looking for a lot of films that I think, uh, well, for one, I mean, these are all you know very strong, worthwhile films you should be checking out, uh, especially for free. But if you definitely want to uh, broaden and make sure you see a lot of films uh, from African-American filmmakers, I think this is a great opportunity. 
Agreed, agreed. We usually don't talk about films we're looking to review next week until the end of the show, but I'll bring up right now that next week Spike Lee's new movie is going to be hitting Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you want to see a newer film, uh, that one is called The Five Bloods, and I think that comes out Friday. So you should also maybe add that to your list because that'll be a more recent film, like a new film you'll be able to watch if you're interested in, uh, like we said, uh, supporting African-American filmmakers. And uh, all that said, yeah, we, we've been sort of trying to figure out how to navigate uh, this show in the wake of, you know, in addition to the pandemic, you know, the last week, we, we of course have to point out that it, it's been a very tumultuous time here in America. I know a lot of our friends overseas are aware of what's going on, but in case you aren't, uh, there have been nationwide protests uh, to police brutality after the murder of George Floyd. And a lot of people in these uh, Black communities here in America have been feeling a lot of pain and, and trauma. And in response, we've been protesting collectively in order to enact change. And it's been a complicated process and things are really tense right now. And so in the grand scheme of things, doing a movie podcast seems a little strange. And so uh, I reached out to a few people uh, personally on like, you know, what what would you like us to do? Like people who are, you know, engaged uh, with what's going on and they're the ones who are feeling this pain, uh, including people who have contributed to this show. And uh, at the end of, uh, you know, these discussions, it's been clear to me, it's like, okay, we're going to keep doing the show. We're going to keep reviewing movies because uh, we think that it is something that people uh, want from the show and they want to, you know, uh, have this this show as like a safe place to to hear about new movies, things that you can watch. Um, but we still want to, you know, donate. We still want to support these communities. So what we're going to be doing for the rest of June and the entire month of July is from this point forward, uh, we are going to be donating all of our funds, everything we make from the show, from uh, patron support on Patreon to all of the ads on the podcast. Every every dollar we make the next two months we are going to be donating to the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, if you're not aware of the Equal Justice Initiative, that actually was founded by Brian Stevenson, who is portrayed by Michael B. Jordan in Just Mercy, the film we just mentioned. And the reason we chose EJI, uh, this this is a very um, just such a great nonprofit. It was founded in 1989, um, and it their mission is to provide the sort of legal representation to people who don't usually get it, specifically African-Americans who have been illegally convicted and unfairly sentenced, uh, sometimes to uh, death row. Uh, people who get the death penalty and these excessive punishments and are basically just written off of from life without evidence, real evidence that shows that they did anything wrong. Uh, that's really what the movie Just Mercy is about. And so that's a big reason why we thought uh, the AGI is a good thing to good thing to support for us uh, that kind of connects to uh, the films that we've been watching. And um, yeah, and so if you are just listening to this show and you are supporting us, you are indirectly uh, supporting the EJI. Uh, with that, uh, that's all I've got. Uh, did you have anything, Will? Uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing I was going to add is uh, if you also want to learn more about Brian Stevenson, you can also read the book that Just Mercy is based on. It has the same title. Um, that's a great resource as well, especially if you want to learn more about his work. Uh, and also if you want to know more about the story that's portrayed in the film. And uh, I also was just going to point out, since you brought up that Spike Lee's uh, new film is coming to Netflix this Friday, they also added a bunch of his movies to Netflix. Um, a lot of really stellar films uh, are on there now if you want to check out a lot of his films on his resume. I definitely would recommend quite a few of them. So I also wanted to point that out as well. Absolutely. 
Uh, speaking of uh, streaming services, we are going to talk about HBO Max since that just came out. But real quick, we will plug our latest extra milestone is out. Will, myself, and Sam Nolan talked about Pinocchio, which celebrated uh, 80 years. It came out in 1940. It celebrated this past February. And so we finally got to talk about that film on the show. It's a great extra milestone. And we had some guest hosts, including Walt Disney. Uh, crazy enough. It was really great to hear his voice and uh, Mickey Mouse was on the show as well. And we were just really happy they said yes. No, I was saying it was a surreal moment for Cinemaholics history. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever top that, but we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's out right now. And the next Extra Milestone is going to be coming out a lot sooner. We apologize for the hiatus. We're actually relaunching Extra Milestone. We're doing something totally new with it. Uh, there's actually going to be more episodes. Um, not every week, but uh, probably about two times a month you'll be getting more. And we'll getting we'll be getting new guests for Extra Milestone as well. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, very exciting stuff there. So like I was seasoned before, uh, HBO Max came out this past week. You know, it, it had just come out when we recorded the last episode. So we didn't talk. We didn't get to it. But well, have you checked this out yet at all? No, I've been meaning to. I know there is a way you can get like a double like Hulu HBO Max subscription. I've been meaning to look into that. I just haven't had the chance. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of really good stuff on there, especially if you're a film lover, because yeah. they also have um like Criterion Channel has a lot of their films in there as well. So in addition, yeah, it has Turner. Yeah, it has Turner Classic Films. So if you don't know that, if you were aware of Filmstruck, we used to. Uh, really love that streaming service back when it was out. Yeah. Warner Brothers essentially got rid of Filmstruck because of this streaming service, and in response, the Criterion Channel channel came about, which is great. But you know, it's it's still like instead of one place with like curated films from TCM and Criterion, now it's kind of splintered. Now you sort of you have Criterion Channel, which is this niche thing. And you have HBO and Max, which I have to say is a really good streaming service. Like I really, really like it. I think that Very it's been confusing for a lot of people who have things like Comcast or Roku. And so that's a, a big issue. Mm -hmm. But so far, I got to say, like the value of this thing is really spectacular right now. Like you can get uh, all of the Harry Potter films. You can get the Lord of the Rings films. You can get all of the Studio Ghibli films, yeah, yeah. which I wasn't first aware time. of until I on logged streaming. on. And yeah. yeah, first time streaming, like you don't usually get like Miyazaki films on any service. And there's a lot on there that I haven't seen. And so I'm like, I'm very excited. I've already added a bunch to my list on there. You get all of the HBO shows, the HBO original movies. I didn't have to do anything because I already have HBO now. So my HBO now turned into HBO Max. And that was pretty seamless for me. I know it wasn't seamless for everybody, but uh, yeah, so far I'm, I really like this service. Like I think this thing has a ton of potential because unlike Disney plus, like it's so much more varied, you know, like it's not just like Disney branded things. It is a lot of things that are pretty like a, a lot of different kinds of movies. You also have the DC movies, which I didn't mention because it's Warner brothers and it looks like they're going to be rotating things. So they're trying they're trying to incentivize people to watch things when they're there. Uh, kind of similar to Netflix. And I, I like it so far. I watched uh, Die Hard on there. That was the first movie I watched. I was surprised to see it considering it's a Fox film. But they have a bunch of Fox films on there, actually, like Alien. And uh, I watched Die Hard on there. That was fun. Uh, we had a birthday shout out last week that someone said Die Hard was their favorite movie. So I thought it'd be fun to revisit that. Very strange to revisit Die Hard in our current time, I have to say. <laughs> um yeah, about a renegade about cop who uh yeah. you know uh -huh. but yeah uh navigating that uh also i watched the new original series love life starring anna kendrick have you heard about this yeah i mean i've heard like i've seen ads for it i i know it's like like i think it's like an anthology show with the 
Anna Kendrick, where it's like kind of like following her life and like, you know, being a 20 something in New York, which doesn't really seem like an entirely original show. But I mean, you know, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's 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 anthology in the sense that this season is Anna Kendrick. And I think next season will be about a different person. And yeah, it's kind of like if you took like the how I met your mother sort of premise and you sort of moved it into like a single camera sort of drama. And you had a it, it kind of reminds me of the anthology series Love on Amazon Prime. And then also it it kind of has like little touches here and there of like definitely maybe where you're kind of going back in time. It starts in like 2011 and you're following Anna Kendrick's character. And like each episode is like a different guy that she's dated. And it's it's about her love life. It's about how she grows as a person through her relationships and there, there's some interesting things in this show I, I think that it's it's actually pretty strong for what it is uh some holes you could probably pick in it for sure uh but i think like the midpoint when you start getting into like there's more of a toxic relationship that she goes through i i found that really really interesting actually and there, there were some surprising messages i wasn't expecting so and it's anna kendrick so you can expect a really great performance and you know she's of course so much fun to watch and everything that she does uh for the most part and uh, she's just like on a streaming domination tour right now. Yeah, like, yeah. How many original things that she's doing for like this Disney plus it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she had a show on Quibi too. And then, yeah, like I said, Disney plus there was another, I think no, maybe I'm just thinking this is something else as well, but yeah, I, I know she's been doing a lot on. Yeah. Someone tweeted that as well. I think it's just like, yeah, she's basically just here to like promote every streaming service that's out right now. So uh, good for her, I guess getting busy. Yeah. Making money. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's HBO max. It's available right now. I think it's worth checking out. I think for a yeah. lot of people, especially people who like this show, they should check it out because the classic films on here, uh, we kind of we touched on it. But because of TCM, I mean, yeah, you, you have Modern Times, you have Casablanca, you have Citizen Kane. Like you have like a lot of the standard like intro to film history films. Yeah, I was going to say you don't you don't have a ton of deep cuts, but you do have some good ones, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're somebody who's has been meaning to get into film history, maybe Criterion is a little bit too big of a hurdle, maybe financially or because the the films on there are a little bit too f- far away from accessibility for you at this time. HBO Max is a great resource for this at this point because there's there's great stuff on there that you've probably heard of. Like you know, a lot of our listeners have probably heard of uh, the majority of these films, but you might not have ever seen them before. And this is a great easy chance for you to do that so i i recommend it yeah i mean like just looking at the list i mean i know there's a lot of films on here that we covered for extra milestone like 400 blows you mentioned alien uh seven samurais on here but yeah there's just a ton of like it, to go through every like classic movie that's on here would take like 50 minutes so yeah you can check out what they have it's a surprisingly pretty varied and vast collection of films um yeah i mean i i've been very uh tepid to get into another streaming service just because i don't want to spend 50 bucks a month yeah. on like various streaming uh services but if there was one i was definitely like more inclined to get over another right now it's it's hbo max for sure i think it's worth i think it's worth it i think it has the potential to be one of the better if not the best streaming services out there so it's it's uh it's a good one i just hope they they iron out all the technical kinks going on and it's a little easier for other people to to get it on their tv so and i mean it's uh, probably an obvious question but we should probably address like so all the hbo stuff is on there as well right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah. i think it's everything i i want to say they have every it's like everything that was on hbo now which i think is like all the hbo shows so you get like the wire the sopranos game of thrones barry like covering the whole gamut i think one thing that they're they're kind of limited on at the moment um 
you know, because they do have things like like they have friends, which is kind of random, uh, considering, but they, they have Big Bang Theory and a bunch of sitcoms. Like I said, it's very it's a very diverse catalog, which is its its biggest strength. And they have a lot of really good movies as well. Like they have literally a lot of good like recent movies like Star is Born and all that. But uh, one thing they, they're kind of iffy on is Adult Swim content. It's really cool that they have a lot of Adult yeah, Swim content. That. Yeah, they don't. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say a lot. They're they're kind of missing some big ones. Um, I think they they I don't think they have Joe Parra talks with you. They do have like no. Rick and Morty, but I don't yeah. think they have like I don't know some of the classic Adult Swim shows, which is a bit of a missed opportunity. And I hope they round that catalog out soon. There's probably a lot of streaming rights that they're probably waiting on. But one thing I really hope they do is they take the DC Universe streaming service, the CW streaming service, and the Adult Swim streaming service. There's, there's, that's three apps right there. And just put it in here. <laughs> I think that that would get them a ton of subscribers. Like, uh, And I, I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, I could see DC Universe still sort of being its own thing because it's like it's also got comics and it's got all of these animated series. But it is kind of weird that, like, for example, Doom Patrol is like the only show from DC Universe that's on there at the moment, which is kind of a bummer. And yeah, th- th- there's a lot more they can do, but it's a strong start. I think they're just waiting for some contracts to expire at this point. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But yeah, like you said, there's there's a ton of stuff on here, not to turn this into like a 10 minute ad, but definitely intriguing to say the least. Yeah, we should say we make no money from HBO Max, <laughs> but it will be a good resource for us uh, with the show. That's for sure. Uh, we've, we've done a huge off-topic section, and I promise we'll get to the reviews in a minute, but we do have not one, but two birthday shout-outs this week. The reason we have two is because the first one, of course, goes out to Will Ashton. Happy birthday, oh, Will. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Glad you were born. I'm glad you're on well, the show. Thank you. Um, do thank you have anything you. to say to the listeners? Um, no, I mean, I guess just a typical, like, thank you for listening. I mean, you know, it does me a lot if you even listen to just one of our ramblings about whatever movies are playing uh, I definitely appreciate that. And I also always thank you for uh, starting this whole thing and inviting me on for the ride. It's been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Um, yeah. And it wouldn't, would not be the same without you. So glad, <laughs> glad you're on Cinemaholics. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, John. Well, like I said last week, you're, we're going to be doing this every week forever. It's our dream. Um, all right. We do have another birthday shout out to Amara. Um, so this is from her partner, Alvin. Happy birthday, Amara in Melbourne. Uh, Amara celebrated her birthday this past Wednesday, and Alvin wants her to know that as soon as theaters reopen, they have a standing date to get some popcorn and some bunch of crunch and watch absolutely anything playing in theaters, even if it's a big, dumb movie. And Alvin also wants to know from us, uh, say again? I just said that's very sweet. Yeah. Alvin also wants to know from us if you and me will, if we're going to be watching Tenet next month when it hits theaters, what do you think? Uh, well, that's a question, isn't it? I mean, for one, it depends on if Tenet does actually come out, because I mean, it, it does seem like Warner Brothers is fairly uh, tepid right now as far as if they can even release it or if it's really the viable option for them to do that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, like, I don't even know what's going to happen next week, let alone, you know, a month from now, uh, whenever like Tenet comes out or it's expected to come out. Um, but you know, I mean, I've been going to the drive-in I, or at least I went once and then I'm, I found out that the King of Staten Island's coming this weekend to my local drive-in. So I'm definitely intrigued to go there if I can. Um, and you know, if, if I had to see Tenet at the drive-in, I, I would not be opposed. It may not be the optimal way of seeing it, but it would be better than seeing it in my house. 
so, um, you know, but that it, it's a big, it's a big question mark. I don't really know the answer. I mean, I, I want to do what's safe for me and the people around me, but it's also, you know, it's very, very tempting to see the new Christopher Nolan movie on the big screen for sure. Yeah, it's it's certainly more tempting than Trolls World Tour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that would Yeah, yeah, I I'm I'm in the same boat, very similar. You know, I there's too many people in my life who are high risk and even though this is a decision that for some people might actually make sense like, you know, to go to the theater and take the right precautions, it might be all right. For me, it's just not tenable right now, no pun intended. Like I just cannot uh, risk exposure because that would put other people in my life in danger who can't afford that. And so my only options are to watch it in a drive-in or not watch it because I don't think it's going to be available PVOD as far as I know. And I, I, I think watching it in a drive-in would be okay. I'm a little nervous about the logistics. Like I, I just, the idea of watching a movie and like, if I have to use the bathroom, what the heck do I do? <laughs> um, I, I don't want to have to like mm-hmm. come up with a, a solution that is a little gross, but yeah, I, Especially I don't for know. a three hour film like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. It's like, well, you, you know, I could just not drink any water or anything like that, but I don't want to be dehydrated. Jeez. So <laughs> I'm, right. I'm a little bit of a pickle. Uh, either way, I don't think I'll, even if I can see this in a drive-in, they are opening a drive-in in my area. So I'm really excited, literally walking distance, which I'm, which I guess doesn't matter, but like, you know, that's sure. still pretty close. Yeah. That, that's but, a bit of a tricky situation <laughs> if you can. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, some people just camp out, I guess, and have radios, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be doing that. Uh, that said, I'm excited to, to see Tenet in some form or fashion. I just hope at the very least that they, Warner Brothers decides at some point to re-release it in theaters, like one day when this is not as big of an issue. So for those of us who just couldn't go see it, we do get a chance to see it on the big screen. That that's all I want. Like if I don't get to see it on the big screen in July, I can live with that. It's fine. But if I never get to see Tenet on the big screen, that'd be that'd be kind of sad. So I hope yeah. that's not the case. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's it's a very tentative situation, no pun intended. Um it it definitely uh it, it seems like it, anything could happen. Like they could uh, they could stick their guns and release it, or they could just be like we'll put it in August where Wonder Woman originally was, or we can put it in December where Dune is currently, or, uh, you know, maybe they'll even push it next year. I don't really know, but it, it's too far away, even though it's like a month away from, from us right now to even really yeah. think about it too seriously, but it is on the back of my mind a lot. And I've been thinking about it as well. Yeah. Cause I was thinking, you know, yeah, it seems like things are reopening. Like it seems like the things are enough things are happening to make the studios a little bit more confident that the theaters will actually have the movie. But then like some news came out this past week that cases are on the rise again uh, based on activity from Memorial Day weekend. So who knows what that'll mean two more weeks from now because people have been a little bit more cavalier uh, from what I can tell. So and especially with like these protests, I, you know, God forbid anything happens, but I'm, I'm worried that people might be transmitting unintentionally and we'll hope for the best. But yeah, it's it, like you said, it's very really hard to predict at this point. Yeah, we'll but see. That's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I said, yeah, we'll see. That's all I said. <laughs> Yeah, we will see. All right, let's go to our first featured review. Let's get into the good stuff. We're going to talk about the new film, Shirley. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that. <laughs> Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs> You were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. 
I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? That girl, what do you think? Tried and a bit trashy, but uh, yeah, give it a go. I like you, Rosie. Can I trust you? I feel like we're in the Scottish play. On the verge of madness. What will happen? Shirley is a biographical drama film. It's not really a biopic about the uh, a small piece of the life of Shirley Jackson, a short story and a short story writer and novelist who uh, was pretty well known in the 1940s and 50s. And the, this film is from Josephine Decker, who also did Madeline's Madeline. Uh, I, I forget, Will, because I remember seeing that film. I don't remember if you saw Madeline's Madeline. Yeah, I think I talked about it on the show. I, I was quite taken okay. by that film. Yeah, I was okay, really cool. excited I, for it. Yeah. I could not recall if it, whether or not you had watched it or if you had had much of an impression on it. So that's good to hear because I, I liked it as well. Uh -huh. uh, I think it's a very strong film. Yeah. This new one is written by Sarah Gubbins. It's actually based on a novel by Susan Scarf Merrill. So it's it's not totally like out of nowhere. Like watching this, you you would kind of get the impression that this is a sort of different take on the life of Shirley Jackson because it's kind of a gothic film. And it definitely takes some twists and turns that do not ring, you know, accurate, like historically accurate. But the the spirit and the soul of who Shirley Jackson was in her life definitely comes through quite a bit here. And I think that's mainly because it stars Elizabeth Moss, who we recently saw in films like Her Smell and uh, who, of course, uh, Mad Men, Handmaid's Tale. We've talked about Elizabeth Moss, Moss quite a bit on Cinemaholics. And uh, you'll probably be happy to see Michael Stuhlbarg is in this as well. We don't see him in enough things, I would say. <laughs> uh, wonderful actor. And then uh, Odessa Young, who, uh, yeah, also somebody I haven't seen in a, in a little while. Um, you might have seen her in films like Looking for Grace, The Daughter. Uh, we, I think we watched something on Cinemaholics she was in. It's probably Assassination Nation. I don't know if there was anything else. Um, but yeah, unless you can think of something. But yeah, she's in this as well. She's actually more of our main character in Shirley. She and her husband, played by Logan Lerman, who, of course, Percy Jackson himself, they, uh, they're they a recently married, very young couple who go to live with Shirley Jackson and her professor husband, Professor Hyman, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. And this couple sort of becomes like intertwined with their life. And uh, Odessa Young's character, Rosie, she quickly learns that Shirley Jackson is a shut-in. She hasn't left the house in a long time. Not because she cannot think of any podcast bits to write for Cinemaholics, but because She's uh, having a little bit of a, maybe not a writer's, or not just a writer's block, but kind of just a life block. Um, she's had a lot of success at this point in her career. We actually opened the movie with Rosie reading uh, one of her most famous works, which is The Lottery. Uh, I don't remember if they referenced one of her other more noticeable works, uh, The Haunting of Hill House, which, uh, of course, the Netflix series adapted from that. But yeah, I, was I forget if they that. brought it up. Yeah. I don't think they did. I, I, yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. They don't say when this this movie takes place. So it might not right. have been written yet, possibly. I'm That's what sure. I was thinking, yeah, because I was trying to figure that out. I was like, I was trying to figure out, like, it's, at one point I was like, is she writing The Haunting of Hill House? And I was like, no, wait, I don't think that, that fits the timeline. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think that's before when this movie takes place. I think that's right. Yeah. So somebody might be able to correct us if that is incorrect. 
Stanley, don't be mad at no. me. No. It's the genre, darling, that's stymieing you. It's not your arena. And frankly, it's beneath you. Keep your theories to yourself. Look, you didn't know her. Don't tell me that I do not know this girl. Yeah. Look, I might have walked by her a dozen times on campus. There's nothing fascinating about this girl except that she's gone. What has she done? You don't know your subject. She's a nothing. Who is she there to you? There are dozens and dozens of girls like this littering campuses across the country. Lonely girls who cannot make the world see them. Do not tell me I do not know this girl. Don't you dare. Mm -hmm. So you think it might be that good? Uh, like we said before, this just came out. It was released by Neon. It's on Hulu, so it's actually pretty easy to watch. And it is uh, it is a pretty astounding film, I have to say. It is uh, unlike, I think, any sort of biopic you've ever seen. Uh, Martin Scorsese, Scorsese is an executive producer, but that doesn't really speak much to the material of the film, for sure. Um, at least in terms of quality, though, I think that this is a very strong film. And I'm actually a pretty big fan. What did you think, Will? Yeah, um, I was pretty excited about this one when it was uh, premiering at Sundance, like you said, because uh, I'd followed uh, Josephine Decker's career primarily since that film. And uh, I was, you know, I was a little bit familiar with her earlier stuff. I, I knew this one going in was going to be slightly more conventional, but I knew like with her involvement, it's not going to be, you know, your traditional like exactly how she yeah. got her start like yeah uh, like, and th this this movie was really hyped by the way at sundance i wasn't even able to get yeah. into it uh because people mm -hmm. were raving about it right yeah i mean and you know obviously uh elizabeth moss like even before invisible man came out uh she she's been on a tremendous role uh primarily in the indie film scene as well as on television with you know handmaid's tale and before that mad men uh so yeah it makes sense that she would get this high profile role and i think she does a great job as does uh I never pronounced his name right, but so it's Michael Stolenberg. Michael Stolberg. Stolberg. Okay. Who I love. I think, you know, ever since I first saw him in A Serious Man, he has never failed to impress. Um, and I think he's tremendous in this film as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, yeah, I, I, even knowing that it was going to be slightly more conventional than our other movies, I guess I wasn't really anticipating that it was going to have the sort of like Week in Maryland approach where it's just like you know, we follow like these sort of like outsider characters coming in. And having, uh, you know, almost sort of a paranormal connection to the author and stuff like that. That and I think those moments, like the ones where it's just like two characters just really connecting, either if, if it's um, Shirley Jackson and her husband or Shirley Jackson and this uh, composite character, it, those moments really stand out. And I think those are moments like Josephine, Josephine Decker really, you know, you can see her inspirations. You can see what she wants to get with this material. I think. Broadly, the film doesn't work as well as those individual moments, but by and large, I really did like the film a lot. Um, I disagree. I, th I think this movie mostly fires in all cylinders. Uh, can you be more specific? Um, well, I guess it just mostly comes down to the script for me, because I know, like you said, this is the first time Josephine Decker is directing a script that wasn't her own. It's not a bad mm -hmm. script. I just feel like it, at times it does kind of fall back into convention in a way that I guess some could say like it grounds her approach, like it makes it a little bit, a little bit less like euphoric and a little bit more like seeped in some reality. And that's fine. But for me, I guess having those conventions there, I, they felt like a bit of a limitation for her as a filmmaker, not to the point where it made the film bad at any point. I just felt like those moments were 
more true to her style and those are the moments that felt more alive than the kind of like cookie cutter type moments in between where it's like you know she just kind of like has to fit in those to make it a little bit more conventional than her other work if that makes interesting. sense. interesting interesting yeah i guess you know I, I think i know what you're talking about and we probably shouldn't say it because it sort of gives away a couple things but i guess i kind of agree because there there are two two plot turns in this where i, I did think that they were a little bit too expected for a movie that is operating on a more unpredictable flair. And I don't know, there, there was something about how those moments came about where I was like, in a movie like this, you would expect something maybe darker or maybe something more unexpected. And I do kind of get what you're saying there. I guess I don't really blame the script necessarily. I guess I sort of, if I, if I was to blame anything, it really is just sort of like the limitations of a, a period piece like this because if you if you go too extreme if you take the shirley jackson character and you go even farther it does sort of like suck away you know the person in favor of just tantalizing the audience with something really just something that is just designed to make you squirm instead of something designed to make you connect with the character but i do sort of see like at least they could have done something to maybe make you think more I don't think this film really compelled me in any sort of way to reconsider something about this person or to reconsider something about women who lived in the 1950s. Uh, but I did appreciate how this film like executed the relationship between Jackson and Rosie and how they were kind of just like polar opposites. And their interactions were the most thrilling thing to watch. But yeah, those are I fun. guess- yeah. I guess it just wasn't thought provoking necessarily, which, you know, it's not a, it's not a thing, like you said, that makes me bad necessarily. It's just sort of maybe a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, that's basically where I'm getting at. It's like, yeah, it's not, I don't think there's any one particular thing where it's just like, oh, this is like, you know, this is dragging the movie down. This is what's preventing it. But it did feel like maybe this is my expectation setting me in a different direction where it's just like, yeah, like those got the core elements and they really, they, they bring something very intriguing, something unique to the story and it definitely feels more true to the author and, and her work. And then like having them kind of more traditional period drama elements with this side story. That's, no, it's not bad. Just those characters are just notably less interesting than Shirley and her husband. So, um, and it's like, like I like Logan Lerman, but it's like, I maybe have like three sentences I could say about his character. Yeah. Like, he's I, like I don't a really know much about this. <laughs> right. And he's such uh, a and I great like actor. Him a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've met him. He's a really nice guy. I think he's a really great actor. Um, I don't have anything negative to say about Logan Lerman. I just think like that story in particular just didn't stand out as and it's not really supposed to. So it's like I get that's a point, but it, it just felt like those scenes like there's so much spark with um, Shirley Jackson's story. And every time it's with Moss on screen, like you can see the film it really comes to life. This uh, the stuff with Odessa Young. That's her name, right? Odessa Young. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's good. I mean, she, she has a nice job. I, I don't remember her from I, she was an assassination nation. I don't remember her exactly, but. Um, yeah, I mean, she, she, she has a fine job with material. I just thought the stuff that was given to her and Logan Lerman just wasn't quite as compelling or as unique as what was going on with Shirley Jackson's story. So not enough to like make it bad at any point or to bring it down completely. It just like, it just felt like if those moments were maybe a little bit stronger, this movie would be, I would be where you're at right now. I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I feel like if, I feel like it is interesting to have these surrogate characters, uh, with the exception of Logan Lerman, I just I don't think he gets enough to do here. But I think Rosie really holds her own against Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg. I think that Michael Stuhlbarg and Elizabeth Moss do get a lot of time in this movie. Like, and by a large, I, I, I you shouldn't downplay that. it. Yeah, 
Um, I think that it's it's good that we don't overdose on their performances a bit. Like I think the pace of this movie actually works pretty well because you don't get overwhelmed by their quirks and their idiosyncrasies. You do have time with Rosie to sort of un, to, to break down like who she is, and I think she's a very interesting character. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, I just you know I kind of glossed over it earlier, but. So I was really happy to see him here. Yeah, no, uh, it's great. been a few years since we saw him in a Has movie. It? I think Call Me By Your Name, Shape of yeah. Water. He was in a bunch of films around Oscar season, even like mm-hmm. the post. But, yeah. you know, uh, he was in all of these really good films. And then we, we haven't seen him since, really. I mean, I think he, he's been doing stuff on TV, um, yeah. like Traders and uh, Looming Tower. But yeah, we haven't seen him like in a movie in, in quite a bit. And he, uh, like you said, serious man, he's in a bunch of films that I, I really, really like. So i um, happy to see him still doing great things. And I think his performance in here rivals his performance in Call Me By Your Name, which I think is one of the secret weapons of that movie for sure. So I, I, I'm a fan of that performance. I'm a fan of Elizabeth Moss in this. I yeah. think she is just, like you said, on a roll. I, I, we can't understate just how stinking good she is as Shirley Jackson. Like it's, it's a transformation. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I guess like you said, like, I think I I feel like Shirley Jackson, she was like doing something kind of like more in her style would have been more about those like eccentric personalities, just constantly kind of like at odds with each other. But I understand that like, this is her trying to say something that's a little bit more conventional, maybe a little bit more mainstream. And I understand that. I respect that. Like I, I get that that's kind of needed to broaden her audience and to do something. I wouldn't call this mainstream though. Maybe mainstream is not the right word. Maybe a little bit more accessible. Is that, is that fair to say? I think, I think accessible is fair to say, but I would, I would personally twist that into more of a compliment where I would say that this is, it's not, I'm not saying it's a negative to be clear. (laughs) I hear it. I hear it. Some people might perceive it that way, but I I think I would, I would twist it to be a little bit more obviously a positive maybe where I would say this, is this, is in the same vein as something Shirley Jackson herself would have written, which I think is really well, yeah, I agree with that. Not something, not something to take for granted. I think that's something that's really hard to do. Sure. And yeah, I think absolutely. for the most part, Sarah Gubbins kind of nails. It. I guess that's why I was a little reticent to criticize the script a bit. Cause I do think for the most part, it really captures like what makes things like the lottery just so harrowing and and something that just makes you just feel a sense of dread. But at the same time, like I'll reiterate, it doesn't really make you reconsider anything the way the lottery does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, I think we're mostly on the same page. I just might not just be quite as positive on the film as you are, but there's a lot to like here. And I think a lot of people are really going to dig this, maybe even more than some people anticipate, uh, which would be a good thing. And I hope that gets more people intrigued by Josephine Decker's other films, even though they may not be her, fa- or her their thing. Because I know like Madeline's Madeline can be a bit of a tough sit at times. So, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I like it a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think this is one we're seeking out, especially because it's on Hulu. So it's very easy to watch. Very accessible. And it's also available, I believe, if you don't have Hulu, there's several like um, virtual cinemas that are playing as well. Um, if you want to check it out that way, uh, that's a great way to support some indie theaters right now. So definitely one we're seeking out if you can check it out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I, I'm a B plus on this. I think it's really strong. Uh, what about you? Well, you know what? I'm a B plus as well. Hey, look at that. I thought B- we were going to be a little bit different. Okay. I don't know. I was I was etching towards a B. I think I'm like a low B plus because I'm I'm etching towards a B. But I think the stuff that works really does excite me and really makes me excited for this filmmaker to continue to do different things and unique things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it quite gets to a territory, but it's it's definitely one that I enjoyed a good bit. 
that tracks because I'm I'm a pretty high B plus. I considered the A minus, and uh, yeah, if not for a couple of those sort of like, oh really? That's that's what's gonna happen kind of moments. Uh, right. This was easily be an A minus, but uh, I you know I I was thinking about this, and I, I remember somebody was I forget who it was, but somebody sort of said like, oh, if you're the kind of person who is a writer, uh, then you'll probably like Shirley a lot more than other people. Uh, Maybe. It, it might be one of those movies uh, where the occupation kind of determines for some people how much they click with it. So maybe um, that doesn't really connect with us, I guess, because we're both writers. But, you know, I was going to say, because it's like, like, in a sense, like, I do agree with you. Like when I hear like a phone's about like, the writing or the writing process, like peak up. But a lot of times when I, that's what I want about writers, like, oh, well, there's a reason why <laughs> writing is usually like, you know, like a process that's a lot more internalized because it's kind of hard to communicate that in a visual medium like film. Uh, so it, it's definitely never as easy as it looks, even though it's, there's a lot of films that have tackled this type of subject, but, uh, you know, that, that's more props to Josephine Decker for, you know, bringing a lot of unique style and unique flair to something that traditionally is a lot more internal and a lot more, uh, inward. So, uh, yeah, more props to her. All right. Agreed. Let's talk about our next film, Becky, Becky, I've seen this, but you have not well, so I'm not going to spend too much time no. on it. Yeah. And I'm actually surprised. I thought you were going to check it out. I wanted to. I mean, it's only because of time. Like it just a lot of things came up yesterday and I didn't get a chance to watch any other yeah. movies. So I wanted to check it out. I'm, I'm probably going to check it out this week. So maybe I'll I'll do a little tease next week. But yeah, let me Is know. Is that you your drive in? Because I know it's in some. Uh, unfortunately, no, I, th- I thought it would be, but I it doesn't look like it is. Yeah, it only released in select drive in theaters. Uh, none near me, unfortunately, as well. But I did watch this video on demand. Uh, if you don't know, it is a sort of uh, murder action thriller. It's kind of like if you took Home Alone, Green Room, and Revenge, and you just mixed them all together in a soup, a really gory soup. That's this movie. Uh, it was directed by Jonathan Malat, who I'm not familiar with, uh, along with Carrie Murnian. Uh, I do not know these directors, so I'm, I'm unfamiliar. Uh, I don't know if this is their first film or what. Um but, you know, I do know that originally this was actually going to be a Simon Pegg film, and he was recast with Kevin James, a surprise dramatic turn from Kevin James, who plays a neo-Nazi convict. And the film stars Lulu Wilson, who, uh, what was what did we see here recently in? Um, there's Annabelle Creation, um, actually Haunting of Hill House. I know she's in that. Um, she's, she's been in a bunch of horror stuff. So it's like kind of her vein at this point. And uh, she's, she's a, uh, oh man. Um, was it the Ouija movies she was part of? Do you remember? Lulu Wilson? Remember. Yeah. Uh, was she? Oh yeah. She might've been the, the prequel, right? The one that. Um, I think so. it was a while back. Yeah. I can look it up. I was, I was actually trying to see if I knew these filmmakers from anything. And I do. I saw their first film cooties. Uh, I, I probably, by the way, should have said that this film also has like a little tinge of kick-ass because she seems to be channeling a lot of Chloe Grace Moretz via 2010. Yeah. Um, and the reason is because, uh, so her father is played by Joel McHale and they're at the secluded cabin um, trying to help me and Will come up with the latest podcast bit. And Will and I go to the grocery store, grocery store, of course, uh, to get some more Hawaiian punch. And the uh, library, right yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, the library was after. Yeah, but uh, you know, we lent out the cabin to them, and they they basically like they they have like a a house invasion by these escaped neo Nazi convicts. Like like I said, led by Kevin James, 
And it's sort of up to Becky, the Tai Chiller character played by Lulu Wilson, to enact gruesome revenge on them. Uh, there's, there's dogs, there's violence against dogs and children. And if that's something you can't, you cannot handle, do not watch this movie. Uh, it's not the whole movie or anything like that, but if even the even the thought of animal cruelty, even theoretically, is something that is not on your you don't you don't mess with films like that. This is not your thing. Uh, and again, yeah, violence against uh, children as well, although not horrific. Uh, there's way more violence done by children for sure, and that is I think what makes this film stand out a little bit more than I think it otherwise would have. This is a very trashy B movie. It's nowhere near as exciting and revelatory as Green Room. You know, even though I compared it to that, um, it does have a lot of similar elements of like somebody in an like, what are you going to do situation where these murderous people led by a maniacal, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, of course, was incredible in that role. I just think it's so funny that like you were like comparing this film to like four like recent to modern classics. Like you realize like, yeah, this is like Die Hard. It's like Green Room. It's like Revenge. Yeah. It's a piece of trash. But <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the thing is like it's it's not really trying to uh, score any artistic points. But it it is trying to say something. At times, I wasn't sure what that thing was. Um, it has something to do with like how violence changes us. And you know, in the beginning of this film, I was really hating it because I think this this girl, the like when you're we're getting to know her, like she is just such a like even for a thirteen year old kid, she is so annoying. Uh, she's just super mad uh, all the time. She's obviously going through something really traumatic. Um, her mother has recently died. And she can't handle that her dad is trying to move on and marry someone else. And she just has all of this unbridled rage. And the film is sort of about how she transplants that rage onto murdering people and murdering people in self-defense, to be clear. But there is this like tricky territory of like what is morally ethical. And I one thing I do appreciate about this movie is that it it actually does try, I think, to some interesting, maybe not, but maybe success uh, to sort of like have a conversation about violence and violence in movies and how it changes us and how it can lead to some really horrific things. I think it's something that wasn't handled as well in something like say the second Sicario movie, Day of the Soldado, but it is in sort of that territory. And that's why it, it'll, this will probably be very divisive. And I think the things that work about this film are Lulu Wilson. She commits and you have to give her that she really commits to this role to the point where I was, I was really surprised. I was also really enamored with uh, the perf performance from this guy I wasn't familiar with before named uh, Robert Millay, who plays this like big, brooding, strong character named Apex, who I he gets strangely some an, inter an interesting emotional undercurrent that I guess not as interesting as it is surprising and kind of welcome in a film this formulaic. And then Kevin James. I'm, I'm really on the fence with this one, Will. I, I want to give this guy props you know, trying something different, you know, trying to break away from the Paul Blart mall cop thing, trying to trying to emulate what Patrick Stewart did, what other comedic actors have done. Yeah. His buddy, and, Adam Sandler. And I know that he didn't play yeah. a neo-Nazi, but, you know, he's also uh, taking on a lot more serious roles. And yeah, it's commendable for him to it do is. something different. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like it quite worked out. He never makes it his own. Okay. And it's it's good in a superficial sense. But there is a lot of emulation here. I see this as a stepping stone. I think he's on the right track. 
I think that he is offering something of note. Um, he he's trying to give off this paternal, you know, personality, and it's what it's what keeps us from being a joke. But that's the thing is this whole movie feels like a joke, and that's what I'm having trouble reckoning with is whether or not it's trying is whether or not it's like Happy Death Day, where it's trying to be this thing on purpose. Like and it's trying to sort of my dear sweet happy death days. <laughs> no, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm just I, saying, yeah, I'm like, on guard. <laughs> yeah, I there were times when I was like, because for example, Joel McHale, he's named Jeff in this, and I was like, is this feels like a movie that Abed would have made? <laughs> um, I think there's even a critic who said that as well, and just like we're on the same wavelength, and. It really feels like that because it's so over the top and it's so kind of pretentious without without sort of making it look like it wants to be seen as pretentious, which is very Abed from Community. And that's why I brought up the Die Hard thing as, as well, because it does it does rip things from Die Hard pretty blatantly. So and and I can say that pretty confidently since I just rewatched it. So, like, you know, it's pretty clear there, although we should say everything rips off Die Hard to some extent, maybe. Um, anyway. Yeah, it, it's it's a very competent movie. There's good setup. There's good payoff. There's uh, really intriguing scenes. I think at no point did I feel like, man, this this kid is like unbelievable, even though she's is unbelievable. Like the, the film is sort of like does have a bit of a plays a bit of a magic trick. And I think you should watch it, Will, because even though I, I don't think you'll like it more than I do, I don't think you'll dislike it. But I, I have a feeling you will appreciate certain aspects of it, especially the Kevin James turn and um, Lou Wilson is some, something to watch in this. I, I think that she is really impressive and it's, it's an easy watch. It's only 93 minutes. It's really quick. No nonsense. First, first like exposition area, all the exposition stuff. It's not interesting, but you get through it pretty fast. So um, I, I recommend it kind of tentatively. Uh, that's the word we keep using this week. And that is Becky. I give it a B minus a very low B minus. It's it's almost a C plus, but I think yeah, if you're a fan of the genre, yeah, it's not it's not green room, unfortunately, but it is it is still worth checking out if you're interested. Yeah, I mean, it's higher than I anticipated for you, just in, in addition to how you're describing the film. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued by it. Um, yeah, I think so. We we mentioned uh, a lot of the things I think Lulu Wilson is in. Like I think we said uh, Ouija and then Ready Player One, then Annabelle Creation and uh, Sharp Objects. So. Yeah, she's been I don't doing remember a lot. Her, I don't remember her from Ready Player One, but um, yeah, yeah, I think it was oh yeah, fairly, I guess she wasn't Sharp Objects, huh? I think it was a fairly small role in Ready Player One, but um, oh, okay. yeah, but she's been doing a lot of prominent stuff. Um, it's clear that she is definitely on the rise, and I'm glad that she has a high profile role to you know do something a little bit different, a little bit more genre friendly. Friendly, but um, yeah, I mean, the main thing I was curious about was Kevin James, just because. I don't know. I mean, I'm not really a fan of his, but I know like recently, if you go like he has like a YouTube channel now, apparently um, Karen Hahn wrote an article about it, and that's what intrigued me. And I guess he's been doing a lot of these like very kind of artsy, kind of more somber, even sometimes dramatic stuff on his YouTube. And it definitely shows like, OK, this guy, he clearly doesn't want to just be doing grown ups movies for the rest of his career. Like he he wants to push himself. He wants to do something that's a little bit, you know, less conventional something that's really challenging for him in some respect and that's why i was curious about this film for him i was like okay is this that film for him because i know like looking at like the pictures for this film like it reminds me of how like in um brawl and cell block 99 like that's a film where you take a, a traditionally comedic actor like vince vaughn 
and you, you know, change his appearance, but you keep his physicality. And it's like, okay, it's like, this is a way different uh, way to look at this guy where he's like, okay, yeah, if you, you take away like the snark and the sarcasm and stuff, like he is a fairly intimidating guy. Like he's a huge presence. And like, I look at this or it's like, okay, if you take away like kind of like the buddy goody, like, you know, like he's your friend kind of thing from uh, his other works. Like, could he be a fairly menacing kind of more, you know, uh, unsettling type of screen presence and that's where i was intrigued to see this film like i said i haven't really seen the trailers or anything so i don't know if that's the case or if that's just me uh, assuming too much just based on some of the screen caps but uh yeah i mean i think i'll check it out just for curiosity's sake I, I i could see me being a little bit more positive or just about the same as you maybe even ne- more negative uh depending on where i shake because i wasn't a big fan of their first movie from the director's cooties i felt like that was kind of like a one joke premise that that overstayed its welcome even though that was oh also- that's what they did yeah, they that was the first. Cooties? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did see Cooties. Yeah. I like that movie. Okay. That's not amazing. This is better. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that's a film where it's like, that's kind of like a short film premise that they turn into like a feature. And it's like, okay, it's yeah. a cute idea. It's fun. But like, you know, like that, I feel like that kind of overstates its welcome a bit. And I can see that maybe being the case with this one as well. But yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued. You know, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, you know, champion any, you know, traditionally comedic actors who want to do something a bit different, at the very least, just see what they can do if they can do something more dramatic. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case for all the happy Madison people, <laughs> uh, but you know, why not? Let me see what David Spade can do in a dramatic role. Let me see what uh pass. Uh, yeah, actually, you I'm know, gonna say Rob Schneider. I wasn't gonna say Rob Schneider. I was trying to think of uh, was it Kevin Nealon? That's I, I like actually would like to see what he could do. Maybe no, no, no to that. Nick Swartzen. Nick Swartzen. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe John Eater. Let's do it. What's that? John Eater. Johnny, well, definitely Chris Rock. I want to see him do some more dramatic stuff. He has Fargo coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. You know, g- good on him for doing something a little different. Maybe I'll like it more than you. Maybe I'll be about the same, but uh, I'm definitely intrigued nonetheless. That is Becky. It is available via video on demand. You can rent it right now for like, I think at the moment, it's like $7. Uh, but it's also playing in drive-in theaters, and this is the kind of thing. It's really gory, so uh, I don't know. It depends on how you feel about that, like whether watching a movie with other people at the drive-in or something. But yeah, you might enjoy it to some extent. So it is available now. But it does seem like Let's, that's like the type of thing for like a drive-in, like something that's like you know kind of a yeah. simple premise, like a little splashy. But so it's like you don't have to pay like too much attention, but you know like enough where it's like intriguing and worth your while. So I think it's a smart move. Yeah, to that extent. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's talk about our next film. Um, this is one you've seen, but I have not. It's called Deer Skin. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Technically, yeah, it premiered at last year's Cannes Film Festival. We actually forgot. Uh, I haven't uh, had a chance to say, but this is the first of two films that premiered last year at Cannes that uh, we're talking about this week. Um, oh, yeah. This was written and directed by Quentin Dupoux, and it stars Jean Duharin. I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. And Adele Hanel, who we just saw in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, sure. She's in a lot of French films. Uh, sure. Stateside, I don't think as many Americans are as familiar with her, but she's a very, very recognizable overseas in the European markets. But uh, yeah, so Quentin Dupuis, he's he's done some uh, some very interesting things. Uh, I think he also goes by uh, Mr. Wazo, uh, but he's a, a DJ. He is an EDM uh, musician. He uh, did the flat beats from 1999 single and he's a very very uh very interesting artistic person who his i think it was his last film right that he did rubber no that wasn't his last one he made a bunch after that i don't know if rubber is the last one i think i'm aware or that i saw that's the last Uh, one he's done a lot of music videos i know that yeah 
was gonna say that's the last one to really gain like a cultural presence. The other ones have been more either just prevalent in France or just not really talked about much otherwise. So yeah, they uh, they definitely haven't come up uh, for me. Um, Although I I I know he did like a short film at one point. Um, I think uh, the Wrong Cops one. But yeah, other than that, I'm not as familiar. But yeah, so this is this is his newest film, and uh, I have a feeling it's it's probably not as uh, not not as like cinematically breaking, I guess, to what you're saying as Rubber was, because you're right, that, that was a film that kind of got some notoriety. I don't know about this one, Deerskin, but you saw it, well. So who's in it? What is it about? What are we watching here? Um, yeah, well, I mean, you covered you kind of covered some of that already, but yeah, when you're talking about uh, so how you pronounce the last name, Quentin Duplex or Dupu, Dupu. Okay. Um, yeah, French is not my strong suit. Hope, hope to learn the language someday. Same, same here. So I'm probably butchering that as well. But I hopefully that's sort of close. We apologize as always. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your earlier point, um, yeah, in addition to Rubber, he made a, another movie I saw called Wrong. Uh, he made a movie called Reality. Like you said, he made Wrong Cops. So he's been doing a lot of more like kind of outlandish things, but none of them have really caught a lot of fire outside of Rubber. Like that was the one where it just like the premise very weird. It had like an, enough of a weirdness where it's like, okay, I'm not turned off by this, but it's like, but what is this? And I, I think it worked for some people. Some folks found it maybe a little too like self-aware, maybe a little too uh, cheesy in its approach. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of Wrong and Robert, I haven't really kept up with his filmography, but then I heard about this one. I was like, oh, okay. Especially because John Desjardins is in it. And I'm like, okay, you know, you know, I haven't seen him in a movie in forever. And it's like in a leading role, nonetheless, with the guy who made Rubber. I'm like, okay, that, there's something there. I don't know if it's good, if, if, if it's worth my while. But um, on Tuesday, which was my birthday, I was just like, you know, it's a lot going on in the world. I just want a movie to kind of get my mind off everything. Hopefully it's good. Something that's just like a good, weird, odd thing that I would probably like. Maybe a lot of people won't. Who knows? But I was just like something that, that seems like in my wheelhouse. And I put on deer skin because it seemed like it. And I think for the most part, it really met my expectations. Uh, to describe the plot, maybe against the point, but um, so so basic premise is that John Desjardins plays a middle-aged guy who they don't really specify what happened, but something has happened in his life where his like marriage is like falling apart, like his career has basically gone south side, and he uh, kind of in a last-ditch effort to reclaim some of his uh, flailing masculinity, purchases this like seven thousand dollar deerskin jacket. And uh, it really kind of sparks this like fixation for him where like he starts having like conversations with the jacket. He's like constantly wearing the jacket uh, and he wants to be like the only person in the world to wear a jacket. And he's like, well, how am I going to do this? Well, uh, when he acquired the jacket, he is also given a little portable digital camera and he decides to uh, go under the guise of a indie filmmaker who is. tells all his like subjects to like basically disown their jackets on camera. And uh, in that effort, he basically does that to uh, steal their jackets and do little by little step to uh, make sure he's the only person in the world with a jacket. And then that's basically where Adele uh, Hanel, is that how you pronounce her name? Yes. Adele Hanel. Yeah. Adele Hanel. Yeah. She's a, a local bartender in the town where he's in. And she is also a freelance film editor. And she, uh, gets a hold of the footage that uh, our subject is doing, which is a lot of just basically weird uh, self-fixated footage of him with his jacket. And uh, rather than be repelled, she's actually very intrigued by what uh, she sees. And they kind of spark a kingship that uh, it's not romantic, but it's definitely kind of like a similar sort of weird fixation 
on this weird idea with uh, jackets and uh, all the sort. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't really know if that sells the movie properly or not. But that's kind of a broad general view of the plot. And uh, it's a premise that similar to other Quentin Dupu movies, it's, it's not like you're thinking or it's not. I mean, I, I, I thought Rubber was pretty good. I enjoyed it for what it was. But I think I like this one more than that one. Just I think mainly because of John Dasher then, who I think captures just the right sort of tonal balance to make this work where he is, you know, conventionally very handsome, attractive leading man type guy. But he also has like a willingness to be very silly and kind of self-deprecating in a way that, uh, you know, is very silly and light, but doesn't go fully overboard to the point where with a premise like this, that's so fragile to begin with. It's very easy for, you know, to for the paper to go through the or the pencil, go through the paper and just kind of dissolve the whole thing. And he really gets this premise down and the, the tone of this just right to the point where it, it sells it for what's really a breezy 77 minutes. It's a really short film. Um, and I, I think he helps to sell what I believe. And again, like it's whether you read something into this or not, it's kind of your choice. I feel like Quinn kind of makes this like like all, all his films. It's like you can read something into this or you can just accept it as just like a farce and just kind of goofy, whatever. And I think that is more apparent in his better work. Uh, for me, it's like, yeah, I think there's commentary on here on like fragile male egos and like materialism and masculinity and also the side uh, subplot with him and like a filmmaker where it's like, is that him kind of talking about his own absurdism and like people trying to read too much into his work, either rightly or wrongly. But for me, I mean, above all else, it's just I thought a really inventive, fun, dark comedy uh, that uh, has a great leading role from an actor who I really enjoy and haven't seen for a long time. And, uh, you know, I just had a good time. It's a it's it's a good one. Uh, uh, I don't know your thing, John, but I'm very curious for you to see it nonetheless, just because uh, I I, I want to know one way or the other where you stand on it. But even if you don't check it out, um, I had a good time with this uh, and I give it a hearty B. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm glad you watched something that you liked, <laughs> um, even though you liked Shirley more than this. I, I'm glad that uh, after last week, it's we talked about so many films that you were just so like this just didn't work for you. And I felt bad. I was like, my buddy Will had a bad time. And um, I'm really, really happy to hear that you enjoyed this. And um, it's fun that we're we're in. This is the weirdest summer movie season of all time, <laughs> at well, least in like, our lifetimes. Yeah. Before in our lifetimes, since before Jaws, maybe. And it, it, I think it's kind of fun. You know, I'm a little sad we're not getting, you know, the summer movie experience. But if it means that we also get to discover some of these these gems a little bit more frequently and talk about them a little bit more than we would have otherwise. Cause we always talk about indie movies in the summer. It's not like, it's not like it's all blockbusters all the time, but uh, yeah, I, I just think it's great. That we found you, you, you had a, a chance to, to watch this. And I feel like if last year, who knows, maybe you would have missed this because we had so Probably, many other yeah. things hitting our yeah. radar. So mm-hmm. um, glad, glad you're a fan. Rubber kind of freaked me out when I watched it, but I really, I really respect that movie. I, I really respect Dupu in general. I just think that he's like a, He's just a true artist. You like him or you don't, and that's fine. Yep. Um, and if you like him, it sounds like this is uh, up those fans' alleys. Yeah, I definitely think this is one of his better ones. Like I said, like if you thought Rubber was just kind of trite and annoying, uh, or he didn't, if you saw his other things and just like, oh, I don't know about this, uh, it's probably not going to float your boat either. But if you've enjoyed his other work, I definitely would recommend this one. I think it's one of his stronger efforts so far. All right. Well, that is Deer Skin. And uh, yeah, how did you say people can watch this? Um, yeah, I used to do the virtual cinema for this one. It was playing uh, online at one of the my indie cinemas. So um, if you can 
find it that way, I think that's probably the easiest uh, and probably the most uh, beneficial way to help out some of your art house cinemas. But I think it's available on I, I had to look up what studio did this, but uh, whichever uh, distributor put it out, I think it's on their website. You can rent it from there. All right. Yeah. Um, similarly, this next one we're going to talk about Tommaso, which uh, I've seen this. Will has not. So really, the only two the only film that we both watched this week was Shirley. So we're kind of going back and forth here. Uh, that's good because we're covering a little bit more of a range. Uh, there's a new fl- film out called Tommaso, which uh, like Deer Skin and uh, Becky as well, you can watch it virtually, uh, virtual cinema, which means you, I th- the one I chose was AFI Silver, which is the one of the art house theaters in Maryland, I believe. And I couldn't find it anywhere else, truth be told. I tried to find it in a couple of other locals and nothing here in the Bay Area that I I, I might have missed it. So I feel bad, but hopefully, hopefully I was able to support uh, an art house theater in some way. But that's actually, I think it's the only way you can watch Tommaso right now. I don't think it's available anywhere else quite yet. But uh, hopefully some people check this out because this is the latest film from Abel Ferrara, who uh, I how to, how to describe this man's career. Um, he is an Italian filmmaker. Yeah, who, he, uh, he did Bad Lieutenant, right? Not the Nicolas Cage one. He the, did. Harvey Keitel one, yeah. Yes, yes. And technically, I should say, he's he's not Italian. He lives in Italy, but he's actually from America. So I got to be a little bit clearer there. Oh, um, he's of Italian and Irish uh, descent. And I, I bring that up because it's, it's, it, it's very important to understanding who he is as a filmmaker. Um, he's a bit older. He's He's done a lot of films. Um, a lot of his movies have been just truly, uh, truly, how do I, I don't know if I should say groundbreaking, but I, you know what? I would compare him actually in some ways to Pedro Almodovar uh, because this film reminded me quite a bit of Pain and Glory, which is kind of interesting considering this premiered Tommaso last year at the Cannes Film Festival. So this is another Cannes release that's finally coming out uh, a little bit later, but instead of, instead of Antonio Banderas having to deal with his demons as a filmmaker uh, living in a European country. Uh, it's Willem Dafoe this time. And this is really good casting considering this movie is, like, man, like Pain and Glory. It, he, Willem Dafoe is a stand-in for Ferrara. And if you don't know, he has gone through a lot of uh, difficult things in his life as a filmmaker, uh, addiction uh, to drugs and alcohol. Uh, he's been through quite a bit. And right now, the real-life Abel Ferrara lives in Italy with his much younger wife, who's about half his age, and uh, their young three-year-old daughter. And that's who they are in this movie. Um, Anna Ferrara, his wife, plays Willem Dafoe's wife, and their daughter, uh, Christina, is the kid in this movie. And it's it's so on the nose about that, which I, I just I actually really appreciate because... This film follows kind of the the simple um, the simple day to day of a man who understands that the world is writing him off because he's an old man and he is not the the kind of person he used to be, and he's somebody who, as filmmakers apparently do, is always blending reality with his art, and he's viewing himself. Uh, this is this is kind of getting into the Irish Catholic uh, connection with Ferrara, viewing himself as a bit of a martyr for his art. Viewing him, he views his his life as a sacrifice for the sake of everyone else. And it's strange because in the beginning of this movie, you meet him very calm, 
He's a very nice guy who just goes about his day. You know, he, he eats some gelato with his daughter. He he's like trying to become better at knowing Italian. So he takes these lessons and he teaches acting to people. And you just he's a very genteel personality. And then as certain things tri- uh, happen in this movie, um, sometimes imagined, sometimes fantasy, sometimes literal, uh, but we don't really know as the audience for the most part, he begins to break down and he begins to uh, get fed up with all of this, like the things that I have to do to not make the world think I am a, a problematic person. Uh, th- this is an interesting to fil- film to watch as a man, because yes, it is another film about a man who is obsessed with himself. And I could, I can almost hear some people listening and rolling their eyes at that. Uh, but this is a much, much better commentary on that kind of person. Uh, and to the point where I think this guy is so self-deluded and he, he cannot separate art from himself as the artist that if you thought Shirley was a little bit too much about the writing process, uh, Tommaso is like even more uh, up its own, you know what, in that, in that sense. But I really appreciated every moment of it. I, I, this is easily, easily Willem Dafoe's best performance since the Florida project. It's up there with one of his best. I uh, kind of alluded to it, but, uh, um, I don't know if we talked about this more off the air, but yes, he's done a lot of films with uh, Abel Ferrara. Uh, I think they've done four total together. Uh, he was in um, actually the most recent film, uh, Pasolini, uh, which was uh, it's been. I think that film came out in 2014. It's about six years ago now. And and when when I say this film is so autobiographical, I think at one point it, it's laid on pretty thick that actually Ferrara's next film, which is called Siberia, um, that actually will have Willem Dafoe in it. And it's the movie that in Tommaso he is imagining and trying to come up with. Uh, so it's, it's it's so funny. And it, it's also a movie about hallucinations. So I'm fascinated to watch that movie in conjunction with Tommaso because it's almost like a weird sort of like quasi prequel. Um, that's It actually already came out in Berlin, but uh, we can't watch it stateside here quite yet. I think it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival uh, recently enough. And I've heard good things. Um, some mixed, I, I think some people are like, ah, Tommaso is a little bit better. Uh, I'm going to watch it for myself. And I, I hope that I'm on the, uh, uh, they're both equally really great camps because I'm an A minus on this. I, I don't want to talk too much about it, but it's, it's a tough wavelength to be on. And I worry that some people might watch this without have watched, without have watching an Abel Ferrara film before. And that might be complicated. I, I don't know how that's going to come across for people. Cause you do have to sort of understand that Ferrara's films are not meant to be taken too literally. You just can't. Uh, you you really have to watch them as really self-aware and self-destructive films, and they're grotesque for a reason. And they they happen grotesquely out of nowhere because this is a film where, like, w- you know, most of the time you're just watching this guy walk around, and you're just watching like very mundane, you know, slice of life moments that make mumblecore look like you know the actors taking the class and Barry, you know, like, um, but that, that's really where this film, not just, uh, not just transcends itself, but captures what I think Ferrara is best at, which is just, he is one of the best directors at directing a performance, like getting an incredible performance out of an incredible actor and getting incredible performances out of people who are in some ways amateurs. And you really get that out of this film. So, uh, you know, if you're a fan of uh, last temptation of Christ, you'll appreciate quite a few moments in this, uh, considering Willem Dafoe, of course, uh, isn't that? 
And if you like darker films that are not dark the whole way through, that actually earn its moments and um, understand how uh, diverse our lives are and how complex our inner lives are, I think that you really enjoy this as a very artistic uh, little indie that's out right now. And uh, I think it is one of the better films of the year. Uh, it's in, uh, I would say, my top 10 at this point. So it's an A- minus for me, for Tommaso. And I hope you check it out, Will, because I think you might dig it. Uh, I don't know if you'll like it better than Pain and Glory. Uh, I'm kind of in between. I think I would slightly give the edge to Pain and Glory. I think that film kind of affected me in a very specific way. But uh, I think you would at the very least uh, enjoy this uh, a good bit. So uh, I do recommend it. You can check it out right now in virtual cinemas. I think right now the the one I got it for was uh, 12 minutes long. And if you're looking for a Ferrara film to check out first, I would actually recommend not Bad Lieutenant, but 444 Last Day on Earth, which I would say is a little bit closer to the metaphor that's in this. Uh, it's, it's about sobriety. It's about somebody kind of like trying to be better and consequently in some ways failing. So, and, and how difficult it is to stay sober. Uh, like that comes across so well in that film. And I think to also success in Tommaso. So that is Tommaso. That is an A minus for me. Yeah. I mean, um, unfortunately my uh, familiarity with his uh, filmography is uh, unfortunately quite low. Um, but I just mentioned bad Lieutenant cause I think that's his most famous film or at least one people yeah. are most likely to recognize, but yeah, he has a whole collection of films that many of which I've been meaning to see and many of which I've heard many great things. And uh, yeah, this one definitely sounds very intriguing. And uh, I'm always happy to support Willem Dafoe. I mean, I think he is one of our great working actors, uh, even though everyone tends to know him. I, I also kind of get the sense that he's sort of underrated and that like people like maybe even take Dafoe for granted because he does really push himself out there in a lot of different films in addition to being a really solid, dependable actor. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he has this working relationship with this very, uh, influential and famous filmmaker so it's that's kind of sweet in its own little way so definitely intrigued by this one yeah he's one of those actors like sometimes you get things like uh that vincent van gogh movie he did like nobody yeah, really yeah. watched it <laughs> outside of the yeah, that, I, it was it, all right it's still yeah. it was fine was good. but it, it yeah. still got oscar attention because of defoe's you know that's just how good he is um yeah. i would say but is this uh better than the lighthouse though you know i don't I liked it better than Lighthouse, but that's mainly because I like a lot of things more than Lighthouse. I don't think yeah. you'll like it more than Lighthouse. I don't. Okay. Because um, well, like, you really like yeah. that film. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, not only did I like the film, I thought he was amazing in that film. But uh, yeah, when you just mentioned like his past work, since like saying this is better than anything he's done since Florida Project, that 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 raised a few hairs. I was like, oh, that's okay. that's more because of my like. I like the Lighthouse. I don't love it the way you do. So I would say that yeah, it's it, this is my favorite performance he's done. Oh, um, okay, since then, but uh, that's not to say anything negative about the Lighthouse. I sure. I am a fan of that film to some extent. Uh, also, uh, Bad Lieutenant. I, I guess I I probably should give a little bit more credit. It does have elements that are all of Ferrara's films deal with a lot of similar subject matter, but Bad Lieutenant is also about somebody like trying to hide an addiction actually you're trying to keep it under the surface so that's actually that's a that's obviously a really good intro to ferrara as well because it's a little yeah. bit more well well known i don't know what it's like to watch that movie now though but uh yeah i'm sure there. someone will find it out so yeah all right well that'll do it for our show this week uh thank you as always for listening uh we've we got to talk about some really fun things uh some really interesting films yeah, yeah. the episode um Went a bit longer than I thought and thanks off topics, but uh, right. uh, next week, next week's going to be interesting because we're going to be talking about the King of Staten Island. The new Judd Apatow movie is going to be coming out. There's also mm -hmm. Artemis Fowl, which yep. it's Disney Plus. And we, as we mentioned before, Defy Bloods, the new Spike Lee movie 
mm-hmm. is going to be hitting Netflix. So very different films, um, those three. And a few other indie films will be hitting as well. But those are the three. I think uh, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about all three of those next week. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's so funny, though. Like, like, obviously, this summer, like you said, there's like a pretty limited selection of films that we can get. But like every like streaming service is just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's like the thing where like everyone kind of brings the same thing to a picnic where it's just like, yeah, wait, what day did you pick? Like June 12th. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, no, that's, that's we're going to drop our news foul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it, though, because, uh, yeah, it's it, it'll be a fun episode to do. Yeah, no, I'm definitely. I mean, for various different reasons, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch all those films. I don't think they're going to be equal to one another, but. Um, I, I'm very excited to check out these movies because I think, you know, at the very least, they're all going to be fun, maybe for different reasons. But, uh, you know, we'll see what we got. We got one for the kids, one for the SNL fans and yeah. one for the cinephiles. There you go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week on Cinemaholics. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Check out the show notes for links to everything that we discussed, including the Equal Justice Initiative and, uh, as always, our social channels and everything like that. We'll see you all next week from the Internet, California. I'm John Negroni. And for the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time. <laughs>